I think this is this is a big one for me. Is who your local business? Who are the people who really matter to you? That's what becomes important. And you realize that those people that mattered to you before, such as your local supermarket being open when you wanted it to, are is potentially where you can go and get killed. And uh, potentially. And you just don't want to go there. And that actually there are people who will deliver and leave it on your front door where you don't even have to see them. The number of times I've had doorbells ringing, Amazon delivery, I open the door and the driver's already reversing at speed up our driveway, waving out the window. He didn't even want to breathe in my direction and vice versa. So I think, I think priorities are going to change in terms of what, what is important to us. I'm calling my mum up every day. I never used to call her up every day. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behavior change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone, and welcome to Real People where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by Sia Max Lari, Belgium-based ethnographer and lecturer in observational research at leading universities in the UK, France and India and visiting fellow at King's College London ex-head of Foresight, tech co-founder, advertising strategist and ever observer of human and cultural behaviours. CMAC has also just launched a global open source project, Not Everyday Life, working with people from across the world to conduct interviews to help ultimately make sense of the chaos we are all living through. The collaborative project will be an exploration of changing behaviours and attitudes at the same time, but most importantly tries to understand which behaviours and attitudes will stick in a post-pandemic world. A most fascinating discussion trying to make sense of it all. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning... Thank you so much for joining us today, CMAC. Uh, I'm going to start off with the question we're asking all of these interviews. What were you like as an eight-year-old boy? So at eight years old, I was living with my parents in Halifax in West Yorkshire, and I went to a village school where everybody had been born at home on their farms, on their parents' farms. And uh, it was a, a single-building village school with a couple of these mobile home-type classrooms. So what was I like at that time? Uh, I was into guns, soldiers, Second World War, spies, and that was pretty much my existence. Yeah. And I had a bike. And it was at that time when your mum would say, okay, go out, come back before it's dark. And we would be out all day before the age of mobile phones or communications. Nobody, I mean, <laughs> but as a, as a, maybe as a personality, um, I was completely cocksure of myself. I was, I was into art and painting and drawing, and I knew I was the best at doing that in my class. So... 
that gave me a, a, a lot of confidence. But I wasn't sporty at all. I was always in goal, and I once dropped uh, a goalpost onto my head and had to be carried off because I was so bored being in goal. I decided to balance it on my fingers, and uh, yeah. um, so anyway, that was that was. Uh, I don't know if that's enough of a description. But it is. That's so, kind of my so life as an nature of you. You were. You thought you were good at art, or you were very good at art. I was. I was. In fact, I did do a foundation in art, and I wanted to do a degree in fine art. Um, when I got a distinction in my foundation, this is when I was about eighteen, nineteen. So I wanted to apply to art schools around the country, and that's when my dad kind of stepped in and said, "Look, you know, you want to make a living too, don't you?" <laughs> he was a doctor. I come mm. from a medical six generations of doctors. And and he kind of convinced me to apply and study transport design, yeah. which was a kind of cross between it was still about forms and shapes, but I hated that. I really hated it, and I moved to another university to study industrial design. And so I I, I went from something that I really was passionate about, really wanted to do for the rest of my life, to a, a job that. I, I kind of got a degree in, and, and um, I, I, I wasn't really very good at it. I never yeah. thought I was a good product designer. Yeah. Just before we move on to sort of other conversation, how do you think your child informed your adult ultimately? Well, I don't think, I don't think it did that much because, honestly, all of those ambitions that I harbored about being a painter because I, I, I love the world of uh, people of, of those great artists um, that I used to that I used to read about uh, the cubists and, and, and especially the cubists um, and I, I kind of fancied myself with a with my own uh, you know uh, studio and painting and um, every day and stuff like that, and and it just never happened. You know, it, there was nothing. None of my, uh, I was not able to carry any of my dreams through to to adulthood in in any way. And I was one of those kids. I mean, my I've got two sixteen year old twin boys, and they still don't know what they want to do. I took them to various open day universities, and they really fancy studying history and languages because they sat in on a test lecture. It was a really good idea to do these sample lectures for potential students. But when I was eight, I knew exactly what I had my whole life planned out. I was already living like an artist should live. I was, I had sketchbooks. I would, I would draw things, and um, and and I was not able to carry any of it through. So I had to kind of reinvent myself, and then I had to reinvent myself again. So I became an industrial designer, and then when I realised I wasn't a very good one. I stumbled into what I do now in advertising, in planning. Mm. Can you imagine going from being an industrial designer that is not very good at what he does to suddenly being a planner at J. Walter Thompson yeah. without any previous experience? Yeah. But you're, you, would you describe yourself professionally as being like an, an anthropologist or an ethnographer or like a cultural well, observer it, it, or anything like that, would you? It so happened that when I joined JWT, so when I was, many of your viewers won't know uh, the Henley Center for Forecasting, which was a WPP-owned company. 
and I stumbled in there because I left the, the agency, uh, industrial design agencies I worked for and I went off on my own. And then I, I just met a couple of people from there and uh, specifically a guy called James Woodhausen who was the design council former head of it who'd moved over there. And we got chatting and I met other people there and suddenly I had a job in socioeconomic forecasting. Mm -hmm. But it was a very simple job. It was kind of marketing manager and I was phoning people up. Then I realized that I, I'm actually pretty good at A, getting in front of people, and B, coming up with ideas for projects, yeah, okay. putting proposals yeah. together, coming up with... And that, that kind of saw me in good stead. And, and I, I, but, but the one thing that I had that nobody else did over there was people watching. As part of my industrial design experience, when, you, when you're designing products, one of the key things you need to understand is how it fits in people's everyday lives. So from products, move to brands and try and understand how brands or how services fit in people's lives. And in those days, we didn't call it ethnography. We called it people watching, <laughs> right, or Very observational yeah. research. Ethnography was something that I nicked from uh, King's College London, where I'm still a, I still go and teach once in a while, and they've very kindly given me a fellowship there. But the 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 um, they did so. So people at King's College were doing something amazing, which was deep observations of very very narrow uh, spans of time. So they would look at. Uh, patient physician consultations, and they would study very short sequences of conversation to look at understanding what people take on board, what haven't mm -hmm. they. And, I th and, 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 and the focus there was on behavior that people aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. So they use video. And yes. the beauty of using video was that you can repeat view video. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, this kind of, okay, so what can I do that no one else does? People watching suddenly realizing there's a whole academic force behind it and that there are some really quite strong ideas about when and where to apply it. Because there's no point doing observational research, for example, when you can ask the question. Mm -hmm. Right? If you can ask the question, ask the question. If you're going to observe people without asking questions, then you need to find a, a completely good reason for doing that. So I kind of started to find my place and then... From there, I went to NOP for a while, which I absolutely hated. And then I, I called up my WPP former colleagues and said, guys, I'm really desperate to come back in. And uh, they found me a place at J. Wilson Thompson in those back in 95, which was around the time it was at the end of the Mad Men era. Mm, it was okay. the very end of it. But I still enjoyed some of it, for example, by convincing them that I couldn't get on the tube. I had to have cars take me everywhere because if there was a, a magnetic spark from the tube, all my tapes would be wiped, which was complete nonsense. But <laughs> it meant I didn't have to travel by tube when I was doing research and things like that. Do you, do, you, do you find that you're in tune with people? So even when you're not doing your research, you're not in people's homes observing them, that you're always watching, it becomes part of you? Or do you kind of switch on and switch off? Is there professional you and 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 um casual uh, i think i switch on and switch off Do and you? the yeah. proof of that is the number of times my wife says to me 
I can't. Be, so, for example, when we're watching a movie like The Godfather or something, I have to ask her a dozen times, what happened here? Why did he say, and she's always saying, I thought you were an ethnographer. I thought you, you studied <laughs> these kinds of you know, multi-layered kind of events going on. But I have to tell you the whole flipping storyline every time. And so I'm, when I switch off, unfortunately, I switch off to the point where I need to be handheld through most kind of situations or told uh, what the nuances are around what people are saying and what they really mean and stuff. So there's, yeah, I, I completely switch off. That's good. All right. But, but that's, also, that's also the benefit of video, which I use a lot in my research because I can replay things again and again and again until they start to make sense or until I start to see things that I didn't see the first or the second time. Yeah. So that's my cheat is video. All right. Before we move on to a broader a broader discussion on the current times, what's the weirdest thing you've seen over the last week related to human behaviour? It's been it's a crazy, crazy time. What's the weirdest thing you've seen and gone, oh my goodness? My mum yeah. is eighty years old. She lives with her 77-year-old husband, who's a local councillor, who's a local politician. So up to a few weeks ago, when there was a threat of social isolation and self-isolating and all that kind of stuff, I was warning them to stay away, to stay at home. And my mum kept saying, well, look, Roger, he has elections coming up. He has to go and see his constituents. And I was saying, he, he's mad. He's had major heart surgery, and he can't be going out and exposing himself to this risk and I had a chat with Roger and he said it can't be you know, don't you think the government are panicking I said Roger no they're not panicking so anyway long story short they've self-isolated and I was talking to my mum last week maybe yeah around last week and I said to her so so are you all at home now everything is fine she said yeah yeah we're all completely locked down and we are you know, absolutely not letting anybody into the house and we are taking care of ourselves. And while she's saying this to me, I heard the door go and she said, bye, see you later. And I went, who, who was that? And she said, Roger. And I said, where, where has he gone? She said, oh, we, we need batteries for our remote control. He's gone to Asda, the local supermarket, to get some. And I just thought, you have, on the one hand, this is this is something to say about people's realities. You know, they mm. they apply different rules to different situations. So mm -hmm. Roger has to go out and get something. Then that so that was bizarre, and it's a story I keep repeating to people. And I think I wouldn't be surprised one bit if it's not just my mum and Roger. That there are lots of people who apply one set of rules to one situation, but if you run out of something, you know. You, you go about you, you sort it out. Yeah. You want to keep some sense of normality. And I think having a remote control that doesn't work at a time like this is... It, it, so it's really interesting what things that you wouldn't think about twice suddenly become hugely, huge, massively important. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you... Uh, whereabouts... What's the name of your city, your town? Where, where do you live? So... I live in uh, a small place called Jeanneval, yeah. which is just southeast of Brussels. 
And in fact, we live on the cusp of two really nice villages, Laub and Janval, but I'm on the Janval side, but there are signs saying you're entering Laub just outside our house. Um, and it's got a little market and a little village, and it's completely locked down. In fact, uh, we, we have a dog, so we, we take her for walks. And it was like, it was like one of those movies where there's been a gas attack and everyone's died and it's just uh, an empty village. Mm-hmm. Until I looked into some of the shops and I realized that they're open. There are people running the shops. These are local delis, local butchers, local this and that. So we went in and it was, uh, there was some of them had time saying no more than one person at one time in the store and, and they didn't need to put a sign up because there was no one there. And we returned uh, that day with two full bags of shopping from our village. And I thought, these guys must must be trying to survive. Uh, they are trying to survive. I mean, they and, and it's a desperate situation. And yet, at the same time, there are people queuing to get into our local supermarket. Mm. It's the same in, in, in Adelaide, South Australia, where I'm based. So, so is the... Um, the social isolation or physical isolation, is that mandated or is that sort of just being... It's mandated. mandated. Okay. Um, We can can only go out in twos and we can only go out if we're going to a chemist to buy food or to a hospital and that's it. Actually, you're allowed to go for a dog walk as well. Yeah. But it's it's really interesting. I went with my wife just the other day and there was somebody coming towards us on the pavement and we crossed the road. I followed my wife, actually, and I said, it's really rude what you just did. It's so rude. And, and as I was saying this, the lady thanked us. For, she was an older lady, and she, was, she had a face mask on, and she had those ski, it's just so she was out on an exercise. Yeah. And uh, she thanked us, and I suddenly realized, no, 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 this isn't bad at all. This is for the people appreciate us intentionally parting. So that's we're constantly zigzagging away from people on the street. It's and, and it's totally respected and appreciated. Mm. So how, how how many weeks has it been since it's kind of been, become the new reality in your area? A week and a, about a week and a half. Really? So it's not long. It's probably about the same as ours. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About I mean, before that, we were still the kids were going to school, and. Um, of the, the, so the last week before this set in, my son came down, one of the twin boys came down with a fever. And I thought to myself, I just looked at my wife and my jaw dropped. I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is not good news. And what do we do now? Do we send the other two to school? Do we self-isolate? This is before any of these wild people were still. And uh, we didn't. Right. We, we uh, let them go to school and we uh, but we stayed back because I didn't. Uh, we also have a cafe mm. in the village. Yeah. We, we closed the cafe down because we, we came up with an excuse and we said the cafe is going to close down now for, for the foreseeable future. Siavash came back. Siavash was fine after two days. The other two caught minor colds and were fine. I've, I've got a, an underlying lung condition, a genetic lung condition, and my chest, and I'm terrified of catching this because if I get it, like I see a lot of people who are 
on ventilators getting it. I will also be on a ventilator. So, I, but, but I also got a cold. I've got a chesty cough that's now kind of getting better. I'm wondering if we've got it, if we had it, if Siavesh had this thing, but very mildly, and we have had it very mildly. You just don't know, though, do you? I mean, I'm, mm. I'm, uh, maybe I'm fantasizing about it. Maybe, maybe we, we have not had it at all. Maybe it was just a little fever that he had, and it's nothing to do with COVID-19. But this is the world we live in. It's like uh, our reality right now is like um, Russian roulette. You know, mm. I've got a friend who's a pilot. Uh, he's so self-isolating. He has COVID-19. His wife is a, uh, I can never pronounce this, epidemiologist who works for a big chemical company here near us. And yes, she created an isolation room. <coughs> he is in, in isolation and the whole family is. My wife goes to CrossFit, so do my boys. And one of the CrossFit guys there, um, 41 year old, completely healthy, no underlying conditions, went into hospital last Wednesday and the day before yesterday, he passed away mm. from COVID-19. These are not one people, two people removed from us. These are people who are direct friends of us. Mm. And, and it's terrifying. You know, when you see completely healthy people, fit people, going to the hospital and then being on ventilators and passing away. It is like Russian roulette. Mm. We're sitting here and just not knowing. So I'm, I'm not even going for dog walks at the moment. Yeah, wow from obviously there's the scary side of COVID-19 but then from a researcher side there's a fascinating bit of human behavior and what it's meaning and what it's meaning culturally and society wise are you looking at aspects of that and going isn't that really interesting of how we're behaving I don't know emotionally or like even economically what what, what, are, you, what are you sort of seeing there that sort of I guess your your years have been a researcher or a, an observer of people that you've thought is quite fascinating. I think I think a lot of behaviours are still forming. I think there's a lot of uh, knee-jerk kind of panic reactions that we're seeing, but it, we will settle into new routines and new behaviours in this new reality that that we live in or we are living in, and. For me, one of the most important things was reaching out to people who are alone or don't can't get into contact with other people or don't can't easily do that. So, while I was thinking about that, and at the same time wondering how is everything really changing? I mean, looking at our own behaviour, for example, my wife says the freezer has suddenly become the most important appliance in our home. Uh, because and, and, and sell by dates have suddenly become massively important, even down to the eggs, you know, that we go through them in the, in the right order. We, we never used to think about stuff like this. Um, down to my wife's in-laws who are trapped in India. They went on holiday there and they are trapped in a Maharaja's palace in Odeipur. Hmm. So she's in daily contact with them. Uh, they can't travel. They're, they're elderly too, so they can't risk going through airports, so they're trapped there. But um, I, I kind of hit upon this idea. Look, there are loads of people working from home now. Loads of, loads of people worried about their jobs. How long um, can, a, can a company keep going and just paying people and all their projects have been cancelled? Um, so I came upon this idea of 
a kind of crowdsourced research project globally mm-hmm. where anybody and everybody who can reaches out to someone else. I'm sending out these uh, discussion guides and if they can follow these discussion guides and produce uh, a one-page report according to various headings that I have also sent out, we will put these into a pool and give access. All the contributors will get access to that pool. We will organize all of those contents by all of those entries by country, any segments we can come up with, but it will be self self kind of sorting at this stage. Um, and then we'll produce a report of, of what is going on and what people are doing. Um, I mean, the most important thing for me isn't so much how things are changing, because lots of things have changed. The big question is what's going to stick once yeah. this is all over. So really from your side, it's, going, it's, it's, it's hard to know what the new norm will be until we, we work through it. Is, is that... Is that right? Or? Absolutely right. I mean, there is a, a new normal now that is working itself out. Um, for example, when I'm sure that when people start discovering their local butchers and their local businesses and that they can deliver food to them, that will be one change. The fact that people are opening their doors and windows at 8 p.m. and giving a round of applause to uh, frontline workers um, but this is a this is a pattern that started here. Appreciating your community, appreciating the people in mm. your community, and reaching out. So those are changes. But what will actually stick? What will actually stick? You know, people are uh, this whole thing around jobs and work, and knowing that you can go from employed and useful and have lots of jobs on to suddenly having projects cancelled, mm. postponed, and literally going from everything to nothing overnight. What, how will that change people? How will they protect themselves in future? Mm. Will, will, will they stop putting all their eggs into one basket? Will they all have multiple, start thinking about multiple sources of, uh, of, of income and so on? I, I just don't know. So that's, there are lots and lots of questions we have. I have, and I know everyone else has, that's why I sort of put this crowdsourced project together. I'm still getting it off the ground. Yeah. So uh, people, but, access, I'll, we'll put a link if we can in, and, and which uh, our business would love to help. So, but um, wonderful. But, but um, so I'm assuming it's it's a just like a a structured guide. So you've got some you've got some idea some questions you and people would help yeah. you in doing some interviews with with their family and loved ones, I, or you're sort of talking about from more from a research side or well, I, what, I've, what, I've, what I've proposed is that we don't want to limit this to researchers. Um, anybody who's interested can uh, get hold of one of our guides and contact someone who is ideally three people removed from them. So a friend of a friend of a friend. Okay. So that they're still known, but they're not a direct kind of, so that they can really discover and learn something about them. Now, mm-hmm. As well as having the benefit of reaching out to people and, you know, ma- making friends uh, at a time like this. Um, I've also stipulated that these are not interviews, okay? These are conversations. We want to have a series of interesting conversations. The must-catches are interesting anecdotes, stories, 
Uh, I mean, you you asked me, uh, you know, about the thing that surprised me the most in this last week, and my mum's story came up. We want to capture and collect those sorts of stories. And then another step will be sense-making. So once we have all of these, I will then need to push it back into the crowd and say, okay, now let's produce. And at this stage, I don't know whether it'll be a report by country, by segment, by, by what, but we'll know once we have, once we start collecting all of this. But sense-making will be an important part of it to produce this hmm. report that everybody will have access to within the, within the group. So whoever contributes will have access to everything. And they can even go in and churn through the stuff for their own benefit and do yeah, their own okay. thing with it. Yeah, okay. Um, and we, but we ask them to do at least one interview. And ideally, if they can do more. And each, by the way, we call them interviews, and I mean conversation. And I've also asked for three per participant. So, so you find friend of a friend of a friend, and you will have three 30-minute conversations. Each one I've got a discussion or a topics list or advisory topics list. So different times? That, doing, sorry. You, yes, different, yeah. different times. I think the reason for that is that when you cover one topic on one call, you need time to process it. Are there any other questions that you wish you'd ask that you didn't ask that you can then roll on to the next call, which will also have its own topic list? And then we do the same thing and we go on to the third call. And it also, you get more familiar. You get to know people better with every subsequent call. Mm. I don't want to limit it to one phone call. Now, some people have said, what if I just make two calls? Or does it have to be three people removed because I've got a neighbor? I'm, I'm absolutely fine with that. Uh, it's, it's really, really chill. The idea is that we reach out, we make, create conversations, we record those, and we try and disentangle... Um, a state of the nation's type, what's going on, and critically, what might stick or, mm. or not stick. But it's, I, I like your term sense-making because it doesn't make sense at the moment. So as you build up that, that portfolio of content, hopefully some sense will come out of it. Is that, is that fair? Yep. I think uh, adding meaning, mm. adding meaning to data, to information is... Is, is, is all to do with trying to identify root causes, hmm. right? Root yeah, causes yeah. behind behaviors. Hmm. So you can report on a behavior, but when you see variations on that behavior, and then you can start to drill down, I guess, what, what is the kind of the breakdown? What is it that, that creates that situation? That's where we're trying to get to hmm. and understand. And uh, there's nothing, I mean, it is a little bit scientific, of course, but it's really all about a group of people who are doing this sense-making agreeing and for it making sense to them that this is what's going on. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, I don't know, the number of interviews you'd like to get? What's your sort of a nice I want to get. I want to get thousands of yeah. interviews. Okay. Yeah. And this is not about hundreds. I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've selectively reached out to a core group of people I know uh, but I will soon put this onto uh, to LinkedIn, and I've reached out to people who sit on Isomar, who are going to also push this out. I've, I've reached out to the Green Book guys, who are very excited about it. And um, but the, the critical thing is, nobody's going to own this. Uh, it's properly crowdsourced and open source, um, and um, 
yeah, we want as many people to participate as as we can. That's excellent. This, as we've been saying, none of this really makes sense, and no one would ever sort of wish this to happen. And we hope it will go away sooner rather than later. But it seems like it's going to be later rather than sooner. Did you see trends happening in culture though that now they're I know this is this has helped to push things along. Just things that you saw as I know friction points in our community and culture, um, and maybe all of this um, will will help exaggerate that. Will help to move us, move us, um, or, or change us as as people. I I like to think that this awareness and and uh, elevated kind of this attention to community. Who are your neighbors? Who is living around you? Who needs your help? Who can help you? Mm. Who is available to help you? Um, you know, Jason, I, I'm still waking up every morning. I'm not exaggerating. And it takes me about 30 seconds to go from, I've just woken up to, oh my God, we're in a, we're in this situation. Mm-hmm. I still, it still hasn't become normal to me. I, I still have to go through kind of replaying it in my head that here we are. And, it, and it's quite shocking. So, uh, sorry about that. So, okay. I think this is, this is a big one for me, is who your local business, who are the people who really matter to you? That's what becomes important. And you realize that those people that matter to you before, such as your local supermarket being open, when you wanted it to, are, is potentially where you can go and get killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, potentially. And you just don't want to go there. And mm-hmm. that actually there are people who will deliver and leave it on your front door where you don't even have to see them. The number of times I've had doorbells ringing, Amazon delivery, I open the door and the driver's already reversing at speed up our driveway, mm-hmm. waving out the window. He didn't even want to breathe in my direction and vice versa. So... I think, I think priorities are going to change mm-hmm. in terms of what, what is important to us. I'm calling my mum up every day. I never used to call her up every day. Mm. Um, my, my kids are learning to cook on their own because yeah. I'm working. We're working there. They don't have school dinners to go to. Um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a self-sufficiency that I think might kick in. Mm. Uh, I, I read that people are buying chickens so they can have their own eggs. Oh dear, I've I've heard that they're yeah, uh, running out of live chickens here as well. Um, that's right. La- last year, I was sort of doing some writing and talking about the, the idea of counterbalancing globalization. That people global just seems really stressful and big, and it hasn't delivered what we promised. So, how do we come back rather than being global? How do we come back to local? And that we've almost we've been forced to do that. We've been every, countries have been closed off, and that idea of sustainability versus growth and and some of the interviews we've had early on in, in these this series or, or particularly last year and the year before of saying well growth's not always the best way and and businesses are going to be forced to well they can't grow they need to contract so there's going to be that change of thinking there and even concepts like um about being busy that whole idea of we were so busy busy doing nothing and now suddenly we're coming back to we have to stop being busy we've been forced to pause we we got this had a decade where we like the the main growth was our growth of social media usage. So all these sort of things have almost forced us to, in a horrible way, but almost forced us to stop and pause. Um, 
Well, stop and pause and also realize. So, for example, it, it's only now that I'm starting to think of these airlines that are now reaching, begging the, their governments for bailouts suddenly. And these are the same airlines that charge you again to choose your seat after you've already paid for it. Yeah, yeah. That, that charge you for every little thing that they possibly can. These are the millionaire, billionaire owners of these companies who squeezed us, the rest of us, for everything they could. And now they're, they're going back to the governments to... So, I know a lot of this is going on on social media as well, but now we're sitting here. We have time to process this new kind of realization almost that these huge organizations, companies, uh, institutions um, need to rethink as well, need to, need to kind of rethink themselves, mm. reinvent themselves. This capitalism has to change. There was a lot I'm not, of, I'm not just, yeah. There was a lot of conversation going on in recent years, increasingly so, about business for good and like businesses being for good rather than for profit. And there was sort of, I guess, every business start maybe kind of wants to be good, but then um, their board says, "Well, now we need to grow." Well, like, what's your take on? That? I think, I think profit is important. Yep. Okay, uh, no business. I, 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 I have my own business. You're either going up or you're going down. Mm. You can't keep it like this. It's mm. impossible to keep it like this. And so just interestingly, I mean, the, the work that I'm doing with Mars, uh, I'm, a, I'm a contractor for Mars Inc. And I, I work within a, a, a very kind of tight team uh, of, of uh, consultants who work across categories. And what we do which I think applies here, is work with brands, not just within Mars, but externally to Mars as well, to, to say, right, let's not just look at financial capital. Let's look at human, social, natural capital. as well. So, it's, so you can actually still make profit, and profit is critical, it's essential, but you can do it by being nice to people. Mm. So... So we look around a brand and look at, we health check the ecosystem around it. What's a good example of uh, businesses being kind and offering kindness? Um, so I haven't seen many. I mean, look, if you are the government and you think you're being really helpful by giving people tax holidays or rate holidays if you're a business owner, it's temporary. You gotta, it's just a holiday. Yeah, we, we were, our accountant called us up and said, we can give you, the government's giving you um, a, a delay on the 3,000 euro uh, rates we owe to something or other. I can't remember. You can pay it next year. I was like, well, we still have to pay it. <laughs> the only thing is delaying the bankruptcy or whatever a lot of people will, will have to eventually go through because it's not helping them. So, so for me, the, the guidelines on, on helpfulness, one is uh, solve a problem. Solve a problem. Don't delay a problem, right? And then solve it in a way that is not coming back on you, that is not 
promoting you in some way. Mm. It is genuinely playing it forward, right? And again, I think that's what a lot of organizations are just missing out on because they're, it's the way they've done everything so far. And what people now need is, you know, if you're a, if you're a pensioner and uh, you're living on your own, and I see lots of them when I go take my dog for a walk here, they're, they're walking around and they, they're forced to go into shops and buy stuff, you know? And these are the people who need help. What, what about the the idea of businesses, I'm going to say bigger businesses, rather than being all about growth and global, maybe coming back to more local and sustainable? Do you kind of see, get a sense that that might be where businesses sort of head after all of this settles down? Okay. I guess we're still trying to make sense of all of this, but do you kind of get a sense that that might be where we're going? I think, I think the real challenge is doing it profitably because yeah. nobody can lose sight of that. You, you have to have profits. And I'm not talking about shareholder uh, profits. I'm just, I'm just saying a company has to be healthy and have uh, a profit. And, and, you know, sure, corporate social responsibility to one side. But if you want to do it across your whole business and sustainably, it still has to be profitable. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy kind of way of doing it. But it does mean not just thinking about financial capital when it comes to your end-of-year P&L. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think we're going to have to start, and this is the work that I do, actually. I mean, I'm not an economist by any means, but I do consumer research with various stakeholders around brands to identify their problems that we can go and solve. But what, where, I'm, where I'm going with this is that we look at human capital, social capital, and natural capital. Mm. And you can factor these into the PNL. So it's not just financial capital that you're looking at. You're looking at how you're improving three other capitals, which are really, really important. And we'll still see financial capital rights. We'll, we'll, we'll have an impact on it. Mm-hmm. Okay? It won't take away from it. They'll have an impact. That's right. And I think that's, I think that is where we are, we are heading, or we should be heading. Yeah. But we don't, we're so narrow-minded in, in how organizations are run, and, and we, need to, we need to expand our thinking yeah. on that. So rather than boards and management being sort of very myopic on it's about profit and share price, it's broadening that perspective. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's the only way we're going to, um, we're going to progress as, as a society. Honestly, as a society, I'm not, I'm not just throwing these words around, banding them around where they need. We have to move away from just being fixed on financial capital. But we, we still need to focus on uh, profits are, are important. That lives in fact. Mm. With, um, like, like advertising, so we're we're obviously in a, in a crisis pandemic kind of situation. What's what's your thoughts on how businesses should be advertising now, and then I guess how they evolve it? Like, it's obviously a delicate situation, and we've sort of seen different businesses doing it differently. And I guess a lot of businesses are probably thinking, or and brands are thinking, well, we don't quite know how to do it, or we want to be more sensitive. Like, do you have a sense of what um, what they should be doing? Well, if it's. Uh, I- all I can 
the, the only perspective I can speak from is that I have, at, at this time, I'm not even looking at advertising mm. that's coming in. I'm getting emails from different organizations who are, uh, who supply us with internet or with our local supermarket or but these, these big brands are emailing us with the coronavirus policy. But I don't care what your current, I mean, I've got my own problems. I don't want to know what your policy is, even if your policy is towards us. Leave me alone. You know, and I think that there is, there is a real need. Again, I go back to this thing to understand what people's challenges are and to go and solve them. Yeah. And right now, my challenge is not how am I going to think about this brand or uh, how can I buy or get hold of some weights or some uh, piece of technology. In fact, in that respect, my, my boys, I've got two 16-year-old twin boys, they keep coming down and saying, can we order some clothes online? This thing that's really good. And my wife replies to them, yeah, but you're not going to wear it. You won't be able to wear it for at least three months. We're not, we're not going out anywhere. We're not doing anything. So I think what it comes down to is, is looking at our real everyday life uh, challenges and having communications that somehow respond to that and are beyond empathetic, but are, are actually responsive in some way and, and uh, practical. We want practical. Because I believe consumers want practical uh, communication that, that actually provides something, that helps them with so what, what, what's an example of what that might be at the moment? Obviously, things are moving quite swiftly and businesses are obviously thinking, well, I know we need to offer um, a bit of um, restraint, but we still want to pay staff or we want to have our, our profits going through. What, what's the way of kind of being conscious about having that right, right dialogue now of offering something that is relevant to consumers? So... I think one of the, I mean, you have, you have various things. You, ha, you have consumers who are genuinely scared and worried, and I've heard people talking about this virus as, a, as not being far off Russian roulette. Healthy people are getting it. Young people are getting it suddenly. People you never thought would get it. We had a, a CrossFit champion in our community who went to hospital on Wednesday last week, died on Monday this week. Wow. I mean, it was packed. It was beyond shocking. We, we knew him. A 41-year-old, healthy CrossFit champion. So this, there's all of this to one side. I don't think anybody can calm those fears. I think, I think the, the, the things that brands can help us with is to, is to reach out and for one second forget who they are and think about who we are yeah. and what we're trying to do. So... You know, I don't care if it's Ford Motor Company or our local delay supermarket brand or uh, Microsoft who comes to us and say, you can't get food at the moment. We'll, we'll connect you up with people who can get you food or we'll, or, or deliver food to your front door or we will, uh, help their, their informal armies of people helping the community. We'll help organize them so that no one is missed out, for example, by creating this. That's, that's the kind of real practical help that, 
um, or, or information or communication. I think we're going back to, you know, the first advertising, the first ever ad. Do you know what that was? It's a question. The first uh, ever ad was I, railway timetables. Yeah, the first okay, advertising okay. were railway timetables. That was pure information of when the next train was coming 130, 40 years ago. And from there, from railway timetables, we've got to where we are today. And I think it's got to kind of go back a little bit yeah. in that direction. So and, it, uh, and, and with that. With, yeah. so we, want, we want useful information right now. Yeah, and it sounds like it's just pausing and for um, enterprises to be truly empathetic and I guess with that trust that if they're empathetic and they help um, in the future, they will be um, thanked for that uh, in yes. some way. Or, or, at least have, or even if they don't get thanked, they get, there's, there's, um, they've, they've at least um, they've, they've contributed to finding... A solution or helping people out of the out of the challenge. You know, the the companies that will be remembered after this is long over are the ones who reached out selflessly without thinking about who they are or what their brand is or what they're trying to achieve as an organisation, and really thought about not just their consumers but all consumers. Um, and then they they solved problems. They solved real problems rather than. Uh, imaginary ones or ones that they perceive that in some way will help them if they're solved. But mm. uh, re- people's real problems without uh, thinking about themselves. But I, I, I think that is the challenge. That's the tough thing. Is we we can't we we have to think we have to think at community level. If you're an organization, you can't think about competitors anymore or who's taking what. You will go to join up together and and help out. This is not, this is not a time uh, for nobody's interested in one brand competing against the other with a better product. So it's, it's mm. not about that anymore. Yeah. It's what you can do for me. That's right. And so the world will, is expected to be different post all of this than before? Is that, is that fair? Is there a line in the sand yeah, to some extent? I think, I think I'm, I'm hoping in some ways it definitely will, and that's certainly in the way they, what I've mentioned to you about the different, uh, the different capitals coming into play at the end of the year, P&L, not just the financial capital, but I think there'll be behaviors and, uh, habits that will change fundamentally. Uh, we just don't know what they are. Yeah. And, uh, but, and, and it's quite hard. You can't ask people, you know, because they won't know. Mm. But all we can, the best we can do at this stage is to let the world start and what, what the root causes of those changes are. Mm. And whether those root causes or those systemic breakdowns will continue yeah, okay. to be uh, a, a, a challenge moving forward versus now. I mean, the, the, fear, uh, the fear of something like this happening again won't go away. Even when we come out of this, We'll be bricks. We'll be tensed up for a long, long time yeah, okay. about another virus popping out of somewhere else. Because now we know what viruses can do, and and we didn't know this before. And it, and I've heard all sorts of things about this is the age of a whole series of viruses. This is just one of a bunch that's going to start attacking us. It's just the unknown, and this fear of the unknown as well 
is going to have some fundamental changes in, in the way we... I mean, look, we're not going on holiday this year. We've cancelled everything. Mm. Uh, actually, we haven't cancelled. We've never booked anything yeah. to cancel it. But I'm sure people are cancelling holidays. But we would have typically booked by now to go somewhere in August, September. Nothing. Yeah. What are we doing instead? We're going to build a pool. So I'm reaching out to friends. Who do you know who's a pool maker, who can, who you trust, who we can, uh, we'll have a holiday in our house, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And uh, why travel? You know, why go on a... On... You've just frozen up, so... And I just keep sort of in touch with them through through my mom or through other people. And suddenly, you want to reach out to people. So I don't think this will change either. You're going to make new connections that you didn't have before. Yeah. So that that, that idea of cocooning at people's homes, and which is something that has been talked about for for decades, of people increasingly cocooning at their home and not going on holidays and not going out. It's, it's, it's happening now. We're, we're perhaps prepared for it with our big screen TVs and everything. Can you see any other trends that... Like, and we don't want, we, no one would ever want coronavirus or, or, or COVID-19 to have occurred, but it, it, it creates that burning deck for change, that line in, in, in um, the sand. Did you see trends that were, were occurring that this sort of big jolt of um, shock has sort of helped to give us a realisation we need to move forward? For things like... Um, I know localization rather than globalization, which you've touched on already, or we've talked about growth, sustainability versus growth. Are there any other, I guess, patterns and trends you were seeing emerging that this jolt will help to kind of move us forward in a different way? Well, here's here's a big hope that what this situation is surfacing is the realization that there are idiots in charge everywhere, <laughs> right? And, and, and this, is, this is the key thing. I mean, it's very easy for people who are not in power to criticize them and make them look like idiots. But without that, if you look at certain people who are in charge of uh, whether, for example, here in Belgium, and it's in all the papers, uh, police were sent to a street party on Saturday night, a street party during the lockdown. There were people drinking, celebrating the music play. And what did they discover? One of the parties was the town's mayor. Yeah. And when they asked him what the hell he thought he was doing, he said it was uh, to show support for first-line responders. I mean, you know, this kind of thing, and lots of others, I mean, this is just a, 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 a small example, but you're seeing people's weaknesses in authority, in place of trust. And I'm hoping that people will see them for who they are. Mm. I'm hoping that people will realize, will realize that this age of, age of, um, what do I call it sometimes? Incompetence mm. that we're in. Age where incompetent people can openly 
be incompetent, can openly lie and openly be stupid enough, will we'll end mm. with this. As you realize that it can lead to death. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have people talking about the, it's okay for the elderly to die, people need to return to work because our economy is more important. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping this will be a wake-up call to yeah. everyone. But we, we, need, we still need leaders. Mm. We still need to be led by yeah. people who know what they're doing. That's right. It's, it's a very sort of... Um... It's a tricky time to be in a leadership position because you know, it really does sort of it, it 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 highlights leadership for their strength. Really, and most times it's okay because it's it's pretty it's in a textbook yeah. and you can just do what um what the textbook says. Um, now it's a little bit trickier. One, one thing I've noticed is um a level of politics coming out of politics. So a sense that it's not about having party politics and debating like often happens in different places. It's by and large um, bipartisan, so they're trying to agree with each other, even if maybe in the future they might disagree. Little bits of kind of accountability, but by and large the focus is on what can we do to work together to get this occurring. Are you finding that on your, your side of the world? Yes, we absolutely are. There is a bigger problem. There is a bigger thing to manage than just the triviality, what now seems totally trivial. Mm-hmm. And I think this is something that the brands should be looking at as well and thinking about. Yeah. That there, there is something bigger than all of us happening now. And they can't just be looking uh, left and right. We all need to be competing. We all need to be working together. Mm. To, to get someone we need to be doing it pragmatically. And I think they are. And I really sense that, um, you know, when they, when they had the lockdown, it was a, a kind of unified, coherent message. And, and then the people get behind it. It's everybody, except for this mayor in this city, in this town that I just mentioned to you, who does get it. And, uh, this is the other amazing thing in terms of behavior that has emerged, actually. We were talking earlier about behaviors. Is these contradictions? Oh, whenever I do research, I always like to. Uh, sorry, there's a lot of background noise. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I'm sure it's fine. No, okay. Yeah. But, but this is one of the things of working from home. <laughs> um, so we, we, we always talk about contradictions. I always say to our research partners, I'm interested in contradictions. I'm interested in someone saying one thing and doing another. Right? Or, or saying one thing at one point and then doing something else. I, I want to understand, because these contradictions, which oftentimes researchers don't have time to really try and mm-hmm. understand, they're just pushed under the carpet and, and you tend to focus, I've done it, on things that you do understand mm-hmm. and you can explain. Otherwise, it's kind of, you feel like it's a reflection on you when there's a contradiction that you haven't understood something properly. But sometimes there are just contradictions. And, and one of the things coming through for me is, um, my mum, and lots of people like her, who on the one hand, she's 81 years old, and I'm asking her to stay indoors, and she's agreed with me. And on the other hand, uh, my sister called me up to say she'd gone to Marks and Spencer's yesterday to go shopping. And I had to call her up, and I had to raise my voice slightly, and I had to say, if you die, if you're taken ill, and you die, you'll be by yourself. And you probably won't be on a ventilator because they're not putting people over a certain age on a ventilator. They're young. 
and, and I think I've scared the life out of it. People have this dual reality. On the one hand, they kind of realize that it's a killer and it's important that they meet as socially athletic. And on the other hand, they're doing things that are completely inexplicable. Uh, so lots of contradictions in, in the way people are behaving mm -hmm. are, are, are coming to the, are, are surfacing at this time. And, and that's why I'm really, really fascinated by it. Why does that happen? Why do people have this reality and this, these beliefs and then they have another reality? Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the whole making sense of it all, isn't it, really? There's one other point I wanted to make. Um, when we talk about politics before, do you... I know. I guess. I guess we're all at the moment. We're kind of hoping, but um, that, 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 that say politicians and leaders, and that could be brand leaders as well, have more longer term thinking. When we come into when there's such a um, a devastating um, time like we're in at the moment, I wonder whether leaders will start thinking a little bit more. What are we going to be doing over the next decade or five uh, or yeah, decade well, or years? Or I can't think that will happen in a world where people are voted into power for four years mm -hmm. at a time. Yeah. I kind of think that's one of the, I'm not suggesting they stay in power for longer, but I think that's one of the, the issues. But what I think it does raise is the importance of having another layer of, just like the civil service. So, so in, in the UK, that you have another layer of government, if you like, which is non-political, apolitical, and, they focus more on uh, on these long term long term issues, but it's just the human nature is we. I don't think we're capable of thinking. We are capable of thinking that far ahead, but try getting funding for it. Mm. You know, try 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 getting somebody to put. Look, I mean. Uh, you know, um, Trump got rid of all of these different uh, vaccine teams and, and health teams before they're set because you just couldn't see the long-term benefits for them. Mm. Now, it's, it might be that now they, they do see the long-term benefits for these, and, and maybe, but I just, I, just, I just can't realistically see that yeah, okay. happening, well, unfortunately. Some of the discussions I've been having, there's a there's one perspective that this is a line in the sand, and clear change in behaviours will occur, and that can be business, that can be con uh, human behaviours, and the other side is we'll just slot back to our old ways. Like, what, what's what's your? Uh, your I guess you, we, we don't well, know, a, do we? Really, at the moment, but no, we don't. We don't, but there's an Iranian, I'm an Iranian, well, a UK-born Iranian, but there's a story that my mum used to tell me all the time about this guy who climbed a tree high up to pick some fruit, and he suddenly looks down and realizes how high up he is, and he's absolutely terrified. And he says, God, if you let me down safely, I will give money to the local mosque, I'll go and build a school, I'll do this. And he comes down a little bit lower, he says, that's not so bad now. He says, well... God, if you let me come down safely, I'll, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll give some money to the local school. And, and anyway, he kind of continues like this until he gets down and he thinks, well, I'm safe now, so I don't need to, I'll just give some money to it. But the idea being that as we get through this, or, or as it becomes our new kind of normal, I think 
I, I don't think it'll be as dramatic as a line in the sand. I don't think it'll be a, a sort of everything no, momentous change. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of habits will return. There will be variations on these habits. Uh, but as, as human beings, certain tricks will percolate to the top always. Uh, the need to be comfortable and, and wealthy and have everything that we want. And the, the, um, the, you know, all the, the greed will return. Uh, hopefully, uh, there'll be a, a, a way of controlling it better. Um, I mean, you know, that, and, and there are people looking now at, I think I mentioned to you earlier, at these big multi-billion dollar organizations who are suddenly begging the gov- their governments for bailouts because they're suffering. And what did they do for us other than if they were airlines charging us extra to choose a seat once we'd already paid for the damn thing? Mm. You know? There's no sympathy for those people anymore. Um, this, this is, this, people, one thing that will change, hope, I'm hoping, is people will become more judicious and they'll start asking questions that they've never asked before about these, uh, about the government, about the organizations, about the brands, about the products, and the ones that will stand out, the ones that will really come through smelling of roses at the end of this, are the, 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 the very ones who actually identify problems that we as, as their consumers have and went about solving them without uh, thinking about how it would benefit them and um, in a, in a, as selflessly as, as they could. So, yeah, well, that's what I'm, what I'm hoping for. But yeah. I, I don't see a, uh, I see variations, but I don't see, I see evolution, I don't see any revolution yeah. changing that. Yeah. One, just final question, just to finish off. What, we, what is your suggestion for young people moving forward, looking into the future? Um, and they're obviously feeling a little bit vulnerable at the moment. But what would you be suggesting for young people? It could be school age, it could be a little bit older than that, it could be uni, it could be just young people, it could be young at heart. What's your suggestion? Well, you know, we have some friends in Norway, um, and she said after the lockdown, there was an email on the night of the lockdown saying, school is normal tomorrow with a Zoom list. And they have to be there at 8 o'clock. And back to normal. They had a whole, uh, my friend's uh, son had a whole day of school via Zoom, including the break. Nothing changed. All the teachers were working as if they were at school, but they were sitting at their desk at home and having these uh, Zoom calls. Now, the, the thing that struck me is how, I mean, partly I think it's the parents keeping them calm as well. I don't see any anxiety in my twin boys who are 16 who are waking up at 1, 1 p.m. every day and coming down. They're still doing their schoolwork, mind you. They have schoolwork to do, but they just do it in, the, in their time rather than in school time. Uh, I think in terms of... Uh, and, and, and at the same time, they're, they're not stupid, so they're listening, they're hearing, they're, they, they understand what's going on at a kind of government competence level. And they laugh about it. They see the memes. They, they see the Reddit posts. They see all that kind of stuff. And in terms of uh, advice to them, I would just say learn 
and make sure that your leaders moving forward, that you vote for people, you bring people in who are capable, who are competent, who understand. Um, and that, and, and the other, the other thing I think is really, really important is, you know, try to, try to have empathy. But it's not just about you. It's not us. We need to think about our communities more. We need to support our community. The local butchers, the local grocer, the local, it's the easiest thing in the world to go to the supermarket and pick everything up in lunch. Yet, when it comes to a time like this, you realize who's really important in your community. And I think that's, that's the one advice I would have, is identify what is really, really important. Not convenient, but important. Mm. They're two separate things. Yeah, yeah. And, and then go from there and build it from there. Okay. So how can people find you? What you... So uh, I've got my Not Everyday Life initiative, which is noteverydaylife at gmail.com. Contact me on there if you're interested in taking part in the initiative where we're trying to understand what behaviors are going to stick in a post-pandemic world. Um, otherwise, on LinkedIn, Cmax Solari, and my uh, yeah, email is cmax at ethosap.com. It's on LinkedIn. So you can find my email there. Yeah, that's the best way. Those are the two best ways. Thank you very much. That was brilliant. Have a good uh, have a good rest of the week and weekend. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. That's right.